that book dispelled all the myths that you have to have acres and acres and acres in order to have productive space and to grow food. If people can just remember that permaculture is a design science, but you can actually use those principles to design your entire life. Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. My name is Cormac Harkin and I'm delighted to welcome Kerry Brown on the show today. Welcome, Kerry. Hey, Cormac. Thanks for having me. Um, Kerry, I just want to give us a quick introduction of who you are. Sure. Yes. So, yeah, my name is Kerry Brown. I'm over here in uh, in East Tennessee and uh, I am kind of a, uh, a permaculture guy, homesteading guy, all, all of those things. And um, we're out here on family land that my, my great-grandfather bought in the 30s. And so we are now getting close to 100 years of my family being on this land. And my wife and I are just kind of doing our part to steward it for the next generation. Well, that's class. Uh, I'm looking forward. It's, it's nice that you're on, you've had that 100 years in your family. Yeah. Terry, do you want to take us back to the start now, just where where you heard the word permaculture, where you first discovered it? Sure. Um, I'm not sure that I exactly remember because I think I had been kind of doing the thing without knowing it had a, a term and a, and a kind of a, a big movement and science and design behind it. Uh, but we can probably go back to um, maybe around uh, 2006 or so. Uh, we got our first house. My wife and I bought a house in the city on a little kind of fifth acre lot. It was uh, about a 100 year old home with a little flat lot that really didn't have a whole lot going on. And that was after a couple of years of being in apartments and having grown up here on the farm and then, you know, kind of moved away the way you do when you, you know, get in, get into your first kind of serious relationship. Uh, I, I needed some space to, uh, to do my thing. Like I knew I wanted to have a garden. Um, I didn't really know what else I wanted to do, but I just wanted to create productive land. So that's, uh, that's kind of how that got started. Um, I started with some raised beds and I found, um, I found a book by Eric Knudsen and Kelly Coyne that's called um, something along the lines of your urban homestead. And that that book dispelled all the myths that you have to have acres and acres and acres in order to have productive space and to grow food. And so from that point, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole of how much production and how tight can I create these systems in this, in this little itty bitty yard. And after 14 years, the answer was pretty darn productive. Uh, so that's what, I, that's what we did. That's kind of where I, where I, where I started the journey of permaculture and then somewhere along the way between an internet search and, and probably digging through the, uh, the used bookstore, it was probably Gaia's Garden. I probably found Gaia's Garden by Toby Hemingway. And then, you know, and now my library is crazy and I've got uh, pretty much every book you could find um, on the topic, especially coming from a, a, uh, an urban suburban perspective. Right, so you, uh, so you started on a farm, then you went to urban, yep, and then you you were doing this stuff, and I mean, you found the book, and then um, what was the realization? Then you thought, I'm doing permaculture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time, uh, so I was 
you know, working on the ambulance as a career that had been my job for many years. And so working on my systems at home, all of my gardens and the worm composting and having the chickens and the quail, that was all basically my hobby and my, my, my mental health approach um, coming out of, you know, a relatively stressful, you know, kind of, you know, corporate EMS job. And I just, uh, I just kind of was continually blown away by uh, how little space was truly necessary and how, how much I could do even just within, you know, tiny, tiny little footprints. Um, and then yes, ultimately after, uh, after about 14 years in 2020, we, uh, we wanted to stretch out again and, and it made sense to come back out here to, uh, to where mom and dad live and my brother live and, and put our house up here and take all that knowledge of these, uh, really, uh, productive kind of, uh, closed loop systems and just apply them and then get to do all the fun things that you can do when you have more space like turkeys and uh chicken tractors and we have sheep now too so no uh, I, I so i i would love more space myself hopefully i get it soon so see on the urban plot what are we doing on there you said you mentioned worms and what what, what else are we closed loop systems are we doing on the small smaller plot so i would say at at the peak um which was right about the time we decided to move um i had two different kinds of worm composting systems. One was inside uh, and one was outside. And that was basically because uh, we did not have air conditioning in the house and we heated with a wood stove. So uh, it would get pretty warm in the house. And so in the heat of summer, they weren't really happy, but their outside system uh, worked. So I had, uh, I had the worm compost going on. We converted the deck, uh, we, we put a roof on the deck and screened it in and I added uh, grow lights out there so I could do all my plant starts. Um, my, my wife actually like kind of built in these shelves for me all around the deck so I could have all of my uh, plant starts. And then once I have my plants started, I would con convert that space into cracky hydroponics, which for people who don't know, that is a, that is a very passive method of growing in a water solution without any kind of pumps or aeration. All you need are your nutrients, your vessels, and then preferably some kind of, uh, some kind of light. Um, we had uh, about eight to 10 chickens laying hens in a uh, L-shaped run that was along the perimeter of the yard. And uh, we also had some quail that we were keeping in a cage system. Um, so yes, I was processing meat quail uh, in the city because I could do that um, in my garage. I mean, really, technically, you could probably do it in your kitchen. It's it's very simple. It's not messy at all. It's nothing like trying to process chickens. You don't have to pluck them. You just pull off the skin and the feathers all in one. Um, I had gardens on every, like, if I didn't need a path there to get through, then it was a garden of some sort. And uh, most of them over time went into, um, they were mostly perennial. So I had things like um, asparagus and horseradish and, uh, all of your kind of like perennial Mediterranean herbs. And then within those little spaces, then I would throw in, like I make a little tomato guild or I'd run a trellis for beans and peas and cucumbers and that sort of thing. 
and I would just kind of continuously um, sew things. So as, as things were maturing and kind of petering out, I'd pull them out, throw in the next batch of whether, it, it, even if it was just like radish and beets and things that mature relatively quickly around here. Um, I'm sure I'm, I had, let's see, we had a pond in the front and in the backyard. Um, we had a particular challenge. This is kind of where we took the problem and turned it into a solution. The, the way the street was designed that our, our yard was at pretty much the lowest point of that block. So everybody else's water became my water in a heavy rain. Um, and the, uh, storm grate that was in the alleyway was about a foot and a half above grade of my yard. So it didn't do me a whole lot of good. Um, and so I ended up digging out about a 15 by 15 pond um, just by hand, just dug it, you know, just a little bit at a time over several weeks and ended up just having kind of a wet weather pond so that when we had heavy rain, I was charging uh, the soil there with water. I didn't put a liner or anything in it. I just let it fill. Um, we have really dense clay soil around here, so it's pretty easy to make ponds and get them to seal up and hold water. And then when the pond was especially full, we were having an incredibly heavy rain the way we can have around uh, early spring here. I had a uh, sump pump on a float valve, and when it hit a certain level, then I had it pumping out to the storm grate which looking back on it was probably not technically allowed, but nobody said anything. So we were in one of those old neighborhoods where as long as you weren't uh, really causing anybody any grief, nobody really cared. So uh, that was the bulk of it. All of my gardens incorporated, you know, at least some amount of uh, vertical space use as well. Um, we processed our own firewood. I would collect firewood, uh, in the city there, if somebody had a tree come down or if they had tree work, they would just pile the wood on the curb for the city trucks to come pick up. Um, but if I got to it first, uh, I would pick it up. And so I had, a, I had a space set up for firewood processing and we had a pretty decent, uh, we had a separate detached uh, garage that we use for um, tool storage. Uh, my wife does woodworking and that kind of thing and then firewood storage and all that. So there was, there was no space unused by the time I was done with it. Yeah, you sound very, very dedicated to it and, and, and utilizing every space. Now that might seem intimidating for someone starting. Would you have any recommendations for someone starting from scratch? How do you get the way you're at with that, with limited space? So that was, you know, 14 years to get to that point. And early on, I mean, I certainly made plenty of errors. Um, I always encourage people to take their time and really uh, don't 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 skip the observe and interact portion of of that permaculture principle. Um, if th there were times where if I had done that a little bit better, there I would not have undone certain systems only to redo them later. So definitely take time, pay a lot of attention to um, the way you like to move around your property. So kind of figure out. Uh, what, what paths do you take? You know, most people take up certain path between, um, you know, if there's an outbuilding and their main house or the way, uh, you know, if there's a particular tree or a shrub or an area they like to visit, um, find, maybe find your path first and then build stuff around that. 
uh, without going too too hardcore and, and you know don't paint yourself into a corner. So um, I'll when I go out to help people assess their property, that's one of the first things I try to figure out is how and where do you like to move around the property, and let's let's incorporate around that. Um, and in terms of of uh, building that out, it really is just, uh, you know, sometimes like I became a little bit obsessive about it. I would, uh, you know, in, in the middle of the night, I would wake up thinking about an unused or underutilized space on my little <laughs> post stand yard and be like, you know what I could do with that. And like, sometimes it was like, maybe it's mushroom logs, maybe because it's, you know, it's a shady spot. The grass doesn't grow. Um, maybe I try mushroom logs. So I, you know, I tried that at one point. Um, maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe I can extend a downspout and have not just the rain barrel, but maybe I could put in one of the, uh, one of the 275 gallon totes instead of just a 55 gallon drum. So little things like that and, uh, take a lot of notes, just write any little idea, just keep a little, um, I call it a brain dump, uh, notebook, just keep a little notebook for that kind of stuff. Cause you never know when you're going to be able to revisit that little fleeting thought that you had and incorporated into your system. Yeah, I was terrible for writing them notes on random bits of paper, mm-hmm. but I eventually went out and bought myself some notebooks. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and it's well worth it because even even reading reading back at them, I'm looking and going, I didn't write that. <laughs> yeah, and I would do the it's same like new, thing. It's like I a new a little, yeah, I'd have a little notebook in my uh, in my pocket that I would carry while I was at work, and I. And this was, this goes way back. This was before we had apps on our phones. So I would have little, just moments of an idea or something I wanted to explore. And uh, I tried to eventually, yes, curate that into, uh, like now I keep a, a idea notebook that's specific to the homestead and an idea and follow-up notebook that's specific to the business. So let's, let's get into the business. Did you, uh, did you start designing and, and doing this for other people? How did you start? And they doing that for other people. So, um, when I was, uh, so in October of 2019, uh, that was uh, 15 years of being on the ambulance and I decided it was going to be my last. I, I was, uh, just through with that particular aspect of my life. Um, so I put in my notice and I had been working at that time. I've been part-time on the truck for a little bit. And I was also working nearly full-time hours for a, family bakery um we roll and and up to this time i had been i was kind of known amongst my friends as like when you buy a house talk to carrie and he'll help you do cool landscaping that's not just boxwoods and you know a maple tree out front um so i kind of been doing it for friends anyhow and i've been doing a little bit of light property maintenance and garden work for a handful of people in my neighborhood as kind of a side hustle for a little while at that point um, so I was working at this uh, family-owned bakery, and when the uh, when the shutdowns began here in March of 2020, they were not really equipped to. Uh, we weren't equipped to do like the delivery and stuff the way a lot of the big box stores did. So the bakery closed. Um, ultimately, it was temporarily, but at the time we didn't know that. So uh, I found myself um, unemployed, and uh, just immediately was like, well, it's time to get to work. So I began adding more customers in that neighborhood. And that was 
initially it was mostly just like mowing and trimming and just general yard work. But ultimately, people always ask, hey, what else do you do? And and I started saying, well, I know about these things, you know, pollinator gardens, uh, kind of ecologically balanced systems, um, how to plant trees appropriately, how to create windbreaks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I just I just started doing it. And it's kind of, it's kind of scaled up. I, at one point, I think I had, uh, I had about 25 yard customers and all within my neighborhood, everybody was within a mile or two of my house. Um, and, and I did really well, but I, you know, after by 2021, I didn't, I didn't want to mow anymore. I was just kind of over it. I don't actually care all that much to maintenance equipment and do that, do those kind of things. So I actually scaled that way back and just started adding more uh, installation jobs. And then what I've ultimately steered myself towards is designing and consulting. So what I most prefer to do now is I find folks who want assistance in planning out how to develop their property. And I especially like to do small properties the best, but I can do large ones as well, because really the principles are the same. Um, and I have managed to grow this by, uh, I, I talk to anybody who wants to talk about it. I will go and set up a, a table at any event that will have me. Um, I will go to, uh, we have a number of events in our area that are kind of based around permaculture, homesteading, uh, emergency preparedness. And uh, so I go to all of those. I squeeze in every single one that I can. And it's, it's a very, um, I guess you could call it, um, it's, it's all very much based around meeting people, shaking hands, having discussions, offering value and assistance wherever I can. Um, I actually don't get a ton of work through the internet per se. Like I do find people that way, but mostly I show up to things. Um, and answer people's questions and, and give them assistance. And then we'll find uh, that they'll have me come out um, and, uh, and help them design things in person. There's also uh, the, the wild edible and foraging uh, community is really active. This is something that is very much like kind of in the public consciousness right now. And there's tremendous demand to teach people these things. Um, so I began holding classes. So that is another way to reach people. And it's actually like a whole separate uh, offering that I have through the business is to go on to people's properties and I will catalog what they have. And I'll create a document for them that shows what they have, where it is. Um, I'll use GPS tagging on larger properties to make it easier to find stuff. Um, and then I'll provide them with um, links to uh, various like, uses and the, the history of the plant, um, whether it's something that uh, is uh, medicinal, edible, a blend, if it's just something that's good for the environment, especially if it's something that's native to the Southeast, I'll include that. So um, yeah, it's mostly just uh, just just getting out there. The, I have grown the business by getting out there, not by sitting at a desk for the most part. Yeah, that, that seems to be a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just doing it, showcasing. Um, mm -hmm. I like the way you've done it through through community. Was I was referred to by somebody in your community? Uh, 
So it's good you're just showing up to them things. It's a good example for other people to do if they get involved in communities and get out, get out and about. Did yep. you did you learn them skills? Uh, I think it is where you learned them skills on the ground. Yeah, um, I I the the bulk of my knowledge is uh, is just where I have um, uh, created a uh, you know I've had a question and I and I simply did the research on my own hands on research. Um, I've, I've done some volunteering. I've done some work shares with, uh, you know, um, urban gardens, regenerative growing, things like that. Um, if somebody's having an event and they're doing something that I don't know a lot about, I will make every effort to get out there and learn, um, like on a biodynamics or, uh, you know, like the specifics, like maybe water garden design. That's something that's really popular right now. Um, and, and just, you know, my own personal library and then really one of my favorite things is just to plug in podcasts or to you know stream something off youtube on my phone while i'm out working that was kind of the beauty of being uh when i was when i was mowing um i just got really good hearing protection that conveniently included uh earbuds as well and i would just burn through six seven hours worth of uh podcasts every day so uh, yeah, I'd, I've never actually completed um, a PDC. Uh, I mean, I may eventually, but really, I don't. Um, I don't learn very well in a lecture-style environment. So, for the portions of PDCs that involve, and I know there's a million different ways to conduct one, so this is a little bit generic. But if the PDC involves me sitting at a table somewhere, um, and you know we're going over powerpoint and that sort of thing and i know like there'll be field work involved in that but for the parts where i have to sit at a desk and read something off a screen i'm going to glaze over it's just not a strength of mine so um i am you know open to taking a pdc at some point but uh the the learning environment has to be one that'll that'll fit me so i do make sure people know you know when they're hiring me I don't have that PDC. And if that matters to them, I like to make sure that they are aware of that. But I do think I can demonstrate a pretty good grasp of um, the design methods and the principles and make sure, I mean, I basically have a checklist. So when I'm creating a document for somebody as part of a design work for them or part of the consulting, I do look at that and I'm making sure like I'm not skipping something that we're, we're covering all the bases on that. Yeah, no, we've interviewed several people without PDCs, and to me, if you have the experience, PDC, I think, is a good way to get started, but if you're not in the field doing it, your PDC is worthless, so it's, yeah, it, to me, you have, you have to be doing it as well, and it has a good, it's a good kickstart if you're coming from outside it, but if you're loving inside it all the time, and you're loving it every day, well, it's 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 not completely necessary, like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it as a disadvantage if you're doing it for 14 years and you've built all them systems. It's not going to, not the PDC is going to teach you. Yeah. And I've done the ones that you can do like through, you know, uh, through email or whatever, where they send you a course module every other week or so and you work through it and write out your answers and send them back. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's great. And if it's important to people, you know, that's, that's cool. Uh, but uh, I think, yeah. I think I do okay with, uh, uh, you're, you're doing all right without it. Uh, yeah, I did. I did Jeff Lawton's one, and it's it, you have to sit through seventy-two hours of video. Mm -hmm. uh, it's challenging. 
Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. So, um, yeah, it's de- definitely not now. Because the company I worked at, the head of design, didn't have a PDC. So yeah. it's even even within the industry, it's I don't think uh, it's not that uh big of a problem. Yeah. Uh, so you're moved on to land now, your bigger land. What are you finding now? You're able to stretch out and is that uh how how does how is that going? So one of the fun things we've been able to do out here is I've been able to learn how to work with the contour of the land because we are on a hill. Um, and trying to find anything level anywhere is a little bit of a challenge. In fact, it, it doesn't really exist unless you bring in a, uh, a machine. So uh, the, the way we're positioned up here, so question number one was we had to determine where we were going to put our cabin. So we've got a 14 by 32 cabin, and there's roughly three or four acres that we had to choose from that the land could be graded, that we could, you know, have a uh, relatively flat front yard and create a foundation for the cabin. Um, and so we ended up finding this kind of spot up here, kind of on the, uh, via about the Southeast corner of the property. And with all this land, like I basically have, there's multiple parcels up here. There, you know, dad's side, my brother's side, and the, the side we're on is there's about 10 or 12 acres that I can pretty much do whatever I want. I mean, this is, um, you know, this, this land is, is part of my inheritance. It's an inheritance that my brother and I will share. So, you know, we're up here to, to take care of things. Um, so I've gotten to, uh, work with contour, which in this case meant, um, swales were a really good call for some tree planting systems. Um, so we did swales for the, uh, both the food forest and the annual garden, which I am going to gradually tie both of those together so i'll have mostly perennial stuff going on with plugging in some annual things here and there um we uh and really the the big the big push here is to improve the soil so this land has been ungrazed since about the mid 90s um there are areas that have been bush hogged a couple of times a year but there is a lot of invasive stuff that has come in where it's been fallow so we're dealing with things like well the usual like poison ivy and that kind of fun stuff but um privet and calorie pear which is the kind that has the massive thorns on it um a lot of bush honeysuckle a lot of things that just propagate themselves readily and take advantage of uh soil that is not super healthy so actually just a few weeks ago now we um worked out a land lease with a lady who puts uh hair sheep on properties she runs a meat-based csa so she needs uh to graze as many animals as possible and i i have space to graze and because sheep are not as particular about what they eat um it's okay that we've got some brambles coming up and we've got some a bunch of kind of uh sort of weedy species crowns beard and and different things like that and so we are now in the beginning stages of seeing what rotational grazing can do to the soil up here. And we are working to rebuild that soil, um, increase our topsoil, increase the soil uh, organism diversity. Uh, so that's, that's probably my biggest long-term focus is grazing, getting that soil healthier, and getting uh, the trees that we need in here. Like ultimately, I would like this to be silver pasture. So, um, 
So we're going to encourage and propagate the trees we want to keep. And in the wintertime, I go on a chainsaw spree and I remove uh, privet and calorie pear and bush honeysuckle with uh, great joy. Um, and usually end up, sometimes I chip it, sometimes I uh, just create, uh, I'll create uh, protective barriers. Like when I find a tree I want to keep, I will take all those cuttings and I will pile it around the tree. Uh, especially if it's just a little sapling, because what we do have out here in abundance are deer. So the deer will, the minute you reveal something that's tasty that they would like, they will get right in there on it. So it's a little bit of a blend of um, like habitat, like wild animal habitat management in, in zones four and five. Um, and a little bit of, you know, permaculture mixed in with that with with the big caveat being I don't use any chemical out here. So everything comes out, or I deal with everything either mechanically or with an animal. And are you, are you working off a master design? Did you, have you a drawn done up or are you just tackling each section as it comes? I, in, in a very rudimentary form, I have, um, I basically just kind of did some concentric circles, which kind of work for the way the land is laid out here. Um, and so I, you know, I did, I identified my zone one and the zone two, which is right now the most productive spaces. And then I'm leaving a zone three kind of buffer. And then, uh, one of the things that does where I do deviate from standard permaculture design is that there are sections of, um, zone five that I am dealing with because I don't want the calorie pair to keep propagating themselves. Because if I leave them in zone five, they're going to keep making their way into my zones one and two. So um, I am managing zone five for not necessarily my production, but to uh, increase the diversity for the animals. Um, uh, so, yeah, I've got, you know, I, I've got something, I probably got rolled up right now, but I've got, you know, I took a big, big old sheet of poster board and just kind of sketched out, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and then some notes on, you know, what is going to be going on. Um, because uh, it's, I mean, to a lot of people, 10 acres isn't that much, but it's a lot. And when you're working on a hill, it's really a lot. So it's kind of extra exhausting to deal with everything. Uh, did you see episode three was, I think it was Elf's Colin. He, he's doing it on the side of a Swiss mountain. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, and all of our property, like it's walkable. It's, I mean, you, there's a couple of places where you can't really get a tractor safely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been on steeper properties and I have helped people sort out steeper properties, but it just, uh, working on a hill just wears, just wears me out. You know, I'm, I just turned 40 and I definitely do not have the energy that I had at 25. So I pick my battles sometimes. Yeah. 40 was the threshold for me as well. Yeah. Um, so how is, how is now you, you work your, uh, how is working on the bigger property? Has it shifted your design sort of thinking at all or, or what services you offer? Yeah, it's, um, it has definitely, I've had to learn that I can't get things done as quickly as I used to. Um, in terms of, you know, I could knock out, a fairly sizable project scaled to one fifth acre. Whereas here, I, you know, chipping away at things is, is a much slower process. So I've had to learn to be more patient. 
Um, and I've now that we've been out here over three years now, it's increased my uh, my knowledge base and my comfort level in helping people design larger properties. Uh, so, and probably the biggest push really is because there's so much stuff out here to explore and catalog. Um, I'm kind of constantly finding a new plant species. So I add that to my list of stuff I know I have out here, which means then I see it everywhere else. So that's where the whole kind of plant ID side of things has definitely exploded. Cause I really wasn't doing that when I was working in the city. It wasn't really anything that I offered. Um, but now like one of the, one of the things I'm certainly going to set up for 2024 is holding at least a monthly class out here for, um, I think I'm going to go beyond plant ID and just call it like a land study course where we're not really worrying about changing things too much, but we're understanding what we're looking at on a landscape before we even decide to alter it at all. Yeah. I think that's a, a really good idea. So it's diversifying your client base as well, your customer base. Mm -hmm. So what, yes. so at the moment you do designs, you do the, the, the foraging courses, now the land courses or anything else that you've added to that, the, the repertoire? Um, we hold, uh, we hold quarterly gatherings as well. So, uh, you know, a, a, a big, a big push I've seen lately is, you know, people just want to get together in person. They want to learn from one another. Um, they want to network with each other. A lot of people are aggravated with trying to deal with social media as a way of making connections. So we offer a, uh, a, a quarterly, uh, meeting space. It can be a swap meet if people want it to be, it's not required. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, because we're, we're off grid up here too. So we've got a solar system. So I'm at this point fairly comfortable describing the way our system works and then helping people see, is that a good fit for them as well? So I don't, I'm not going to say I can design off grid systems, but I can speak with enough uh, intelligence at this point to help people answer questions like, is this even a good fit for me? Or maybe I don't do my whole house but maybe I can set up my workshop to be off grid or something like that. So that was definitely a big change because uh, I was pretty ignorant about electricity in general, beyond the very, very basics um, until I had, I couldn't be ignorant anymore because <laughs> when, you know, when something goes wrong with your system, like I, fortunately I have friends and people I can call on to help me sort out the particulars. But if I need to figure out something in a real pinch, uh, can't afford to be ignorant on that kind of thing. Uh, it's basically safety. And uh, yeah. I suppose it's good too. If, for a lot of people, it's actually, can they actually, do they realize the amount of work that it is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had some components go out back uh, in early summer. Um, and I, I don't know why. We're not sure what went wrong. There wasn't a lightning strike or anything, but something, um, something in the inverter just quit. And I had no power because if your inverter doesn't work, uh, nothing else works. So it's basically like shutting off the, the breaker to your whole home. So we were running on a generator for a few days. Um, and I've got a good electrician buddy and he came out and he helped me and I, and another friend over the phone helped me kind of, um, narrow everything down. And we were able to, uh, discount various other issues and determine that it was the inverter. Um, it's still sitting here on the floor. 
I intend to open it up more thoroughly and try to figure out what went wrong. It, it could be something that simply needs to be soldered. It's, I mean, it could be that simple, but um, because I have been able to put together these networks of people over the years, I was able to get assistance in assessing the problem. Um, Miles was able to come out and throw me in a little bypass where I could power the house via the generator. And, um, and then by the weekend, I was able to meet my buddy, Sean, with Hack My Homestead, and he sold me a, uh, a new inverter. And Miles helped me install it. And so in under a week, I was back up and running normally again. And I mean, yes, I had to part with some cash, but that's just kind of the price of, of creating your own energy. So um, if people think that they can have this stuff just installed and never think about it, the answer is probably not. You, um, the, This entire lifestyle, you know, Willful ignorance is is simply not an option at any point. And you have to be willing to go without it for a week that you get it sorted. Yeah. yeah. So you need to be able to have backups to your backups. Like I have another small generator where I can keep my fridge and freezer from getting too hot. Um, you know, and we could run a fan at night and that sort of thing. And we had kind of already been heading in this direction for quite some time. Like I said, at the old place in the city, um, when uh, after a year or two of being there, the HVAC system quit on us and we didn't have thousands of dollars to fix it. And so we didn't. So we adapted to window fans and I wanted a wood stove anyhow. So we saved money and we put in a wood stove for a very small fraction. That wood stove paid for itself in two seasons going off what our heat bill used to be. And we were way warmer than what the HVAC could provide. So we were already, we did things like, um, I did an energy audit of, of the old house and determined that the water heater was, uh, after the HVAC was offline, the water heater was actually the largest source of energy consumption. And so uh, I just identified its own breaker and the water heater would be shut off when we were gone during the day was when we were both, we were both working away from home. I was like, why in the world do we run a water heater? So after our morning showers, I would make sure that it had a chance to fill back up again. And then I shut off that breaker and I didn't kick it back on until, you know, maybe about an hour before we were ready to, you know, take our showers in the evening or do dishes, things like that. Like I pulled out, it was a tiny home anyhow, 900 square feet. Um, the dishwasher messed up. I decided not to fix it. I pulled it out, threw it out in the alley for somebody to pick up for scrap. And we put in a little miniature pantry there instead because why use all that electricity to wash dishes when there's two of us living in the home? I can wash dishes in 15 minutes. Like I was literally faster than the dishwasher. So little things like that. We were just always looking to simplify. Um, I should say, you know, people call it the simple life. A simple life can actually be a little bit complicated because you don't have all this stuff that's automated where you talk to Alexa and she, you know, does everything for you. It's, but to me, um, having a hand in these aspects of my life, the way humans always have, to me, that is something. Yeah, I think it's very important as well, because uh, and and being more responsible for your day to day activities, you can. It's all about outsourcing this stuff, but if you go to phone the guy that's not there, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, um, I just like being in charge of my stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I think more people should should um, should try and 
learn more and take more responsibility for their own stuff, we'd be in a lot better place if that was the case. Yeah, I got to agree with that. So if I, I obviously you're quite knowledgeable about homestead and permaculture design and our audience is an international audience. If, do you, would you do a, an online consult for someone? Um, I'm open to it. Yeah, I don't really have, um, I haven't really developed like a protocol for what that looks like, but folks are always welcome to reach out to me if they have um, like a fairly specific question, if we're able to get like pretty good video and with things like Google Earth and maps and stuff like that and, and all the technology that is available, like I can, I can certainly help. Um, I don't really have that set up as a description like on the website but i mean yes if somebody's got a question let me see if i can help you and if you want to throw some money in the in the Vimo tip jar that's cool you know um i do stay pretty focused on about a four to five hour radius for especially for like the gardening base and the food production based consult um because this is what i know best like i've grown up here i've spent all 40 years here so um you know, if you had questions about doing something in your part of the world, I'm probably going to give you the wrong answer. Um, there, are, there may be certain things that certainly carry over and are applicable all across, but uh, I really like uh, my, 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 I guess you could say my, my talent, my abilities are best described when I am standing in somebody's yard with somebody and we're looking at stuff and we're starting to see what the big picture can look like, which is just, it is hard to do at a distance but uh one of the things that a lot of people actually do hire me for which works perfectly well as a distance consult is like as a research assistant um there's only uh some people only have so much time in the day to, to dedicate to stuff so there will people who will be like research these three topics for me give me everything you can find and i'll try to get stuff from like good sources not some awful ad ridden website that was clearly written by ai um but actual good knowledge uh even things you know things that have been around and ancestral knowledge things that have been known for multiple generations not it didn't just get typed up last week to try to get some clicks um then yeah that is a way i can definitely help people i, I do that quite a bit i do i've done that um for uh various types of uh like water catchment and treatment systems and filtration, uh, worm composting systems, various ways of doing that. Um, and uh, it's one, one that came up recently was basically uh, down, uh, I think I saw, I, I think I called it gardening on the down low. So people who are in HOAs and they're like, I'm not allowed to have a garden. Well, they're allowed to have landscaping. But what plants can we plug in there that the average person isn't going to realize that they're actually edible? They're not just ornamentals. So things like that. Like I can generate that kind of information and send that off in a Google Doc and tell people, hey, knock yourself out on this. No, that's great. We'll, we'll leave your links in the description. Oh, that's great. Sure. Uh, one other thing you mentioned in the forum was uh, overcoming imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had a discussion a few months back with uh, with my buddy Ryan Steva, who is in Middle Tennessee, and and we have a lot of overlap in uh, what we both do, and um, we kind of came to the conclusion that 
Um, we, we create imposter syndrome in our head because one, we live in a world where um, certain, uh, there's certain societal pressure that you should have a certification for literally everything. And since I came out of the medical field, it was very, that, that was a thing. Like, and, and maybe, you know, if you're going to be uh, messing around with people's lives, you probably should have some kind of um, consistent training. Uh, and we kind of came to the conclusion that if you're experiencing a little bit of imposter syndrome or doubting your abilities, it's probably a good thing because it means that you're staying humble and you're not just assuming that you can't possibly be wrong. So um, there are times I have been uh, called out to help with somebody and um, it's okay to say, I don't know, because I realize it's okay if I don't know exactly in that very moment what to do, but there's nothing stopping me from digging into all of my books, all of my resources, all the people that I know and coming up with an answer for this person. So it's okay to learn on the fly and, uh, and just take care that we're not making a decision that is going to uh, cost somebody significant amounts of money and it turned out to be the wrong decision. So I obviously take that quite seriously. Um, and uh, there, there have been a few times where I end up calling in like additional uh, help, like other people, other designers, and um, and like I pay out of pocket for that. Like I want to bring in uh, one more set of eyeballs on something. Like, hey, double check me on this. Do you see, you know, do you see any issues here? And you know, send them some value their way, just to make sure. Um, you know, we can get sometimes we can get into a mental rut, so it's good to bring in outside help. So. Uh, yeah, I just like to encourage people to not try not to doubt themselves so much. And uh, like back in back in real early spring, I held a little uh, kind of intensive small scale gardening class for a health group. And um, one of the actually more than one of the ladies there, they were like, well, I just I just can't, ever can't seem to grow anything. Like Everything I touch, it, it, you know, it just dies. And so I like to tell them I have killed so many plants and I will kill more plants before I'm done. And I will probably always kill plants. That's really the only way that we can learn is to accept the feedback from that plant that this was the wrong plant or the wrong site or the wrong amount of water or incorrect soil conditions or aspect or whatever, because uh, that that's just the nature of how we learn. So I try to encourage people to, uh, Except that we don't have to have every single answer the instant that we're asked the question. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, I heard a good one about imposter syndrome yesterday on, uh, I think it was the Side Hustle Nation, Side Hustle podcast, Nick Loper. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the guy basically said that we go through our education and we're just fed information and we can regurgitate it and you get a mark. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's instant feedback. But when you go away and research something yourself and you come up or do your own research, find knowledge, there's nobody going, that's right or that's wrong. And then that, yeah. that gives us that unease and that's like the imposter syndrome. Right? And I thought that was a very good analogy of that. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people who have been, we have largely been programmed to outsource our critical thinking skills. Um, I think that might be one of the largest errors that we're seeing in modern society. And there are times when I go out to a property and, and if the person is like, 
just tell me what to do, that actually makes me quite uneasy. So I like to kind of approach it from, let's have a discussion here. Let's hear what your goals are. Let's hear what your budget is. Let's hear what your timeline is. And let's develop this together. And don't just, like, I don't mind if somebody questions my um, my design choices. That is fine. It's your property. You ought to. Um, now, maybe if you question every single aspect, every single step of the way, maybe we've got a different issue that needs to be sorted out. But I would rather people, um, I'd rather it be a discussion. I don't want to dictate anything to anybody. I, I was telling a group of friends a few weeks back, like, I hate telling people what to do as much as I hate being told what to do. It, it really rubs me the wrong way. So I like it to be, um, I, I, the, the, the best um, uh, sessions I've had with people is where I realize I'm building a relationship and more community and I'm not just dictating to a customer what they should do. Yeah, it has to be a joint thing because they have to do the work at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, with my designs, I was trying to factor on the person's personality. So there's no point yes. in giving the market garden if they want to work an hour a week. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. not going to work for you. Uh, so you need, you need to do that. Kerry, is there anything else you'd like to add now just before we wrap up? Uh, no, I appreciate the time. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for uh, joining us and, and sharing your story and your different uh different ventures and different methods. I think it's it's good. That's what we try and do here is just show people living the life and earning money and permaculture and just because uh the world needs more permaculture, I think. And it needs designers and it needs people working on it and earning money. Um, yeah. You need absolutely. that you need that return of surplus. Exactly. If people if people can just remember that permaculture is the design science, but you can actually use those principles to design your entire life. Even if you never plant anything at all, it's actually a, a lifestyle design system that um, probably could lead to quite a bit of success and contentment. Yes, which is, again, missing from society today when we're all sitting in front of the screens. Yep. Uh, Kerry, thank you very much. Uh, 